This episode of The Outcast is brought to you by the podcast Just for Variety with Mark Malkin, available on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. Hi, I'm Dave Kittredge, filmmaker in Los Angeles, and this is The Outcast, presented by Outfest, where we have conversations with LGBT creators and allies to discuss their work, their inspirations, their passions, and the challenges of getting our authentic voices heard. And today, I am chatting with one of the most acclaimed directors of the new queer cinema, a trailblazing artist whose 1996 work, The Watermelon Woman, was the first feature-length narrative film written and directed by an out-black lesbian about black lesbians, and whose HBO film, Stranger Inside, is now celebrating its 20th anniversary. Cheryl Dunier, it is such a pleasure to meet you. Oh, thank you for having me. I mean, I, I love Outfest. I love what everything that Outfest does, and um, I've been such a supporter of Outfest, so I'm pleased to be here. It's a thrill talking to you because it's impossible to be a gay filmmaker and and know anything about the new queer cinema the the everything that happened kind of between 89 and like you know you know 98 and not talk about you and your work um and especially the watermelon woman so sure if you don't mind let's just start there what led to the watermelon woman yeah the watermelon woman um gosh takes me back <laughs> and that that piece is uh it, it it's so funny how it still holds water the watermelon woman <laughs> not to make it a fun out of it i just no i just saw it i literally just saw it for the first time in 20 years like a few days ago when i knew i was prepping for this interview it's on hbo max right now um uh and it it's it's great it just holds up so well yes yes it does um i know that last summer um, during uh, the George Floyd uh, uh, uprising and conversations and, you know, I wouldn't say riots, but I think that there was a moment where people were becoming uh, more aware of diversity and uh, black voices. Um, it, uh, it, it started to play a bit more mm-hmm. and started to play a bit more. And then people started to reach out to me to talk about it because I think it really hits on, you know, what it means to define yourself. Uh, what it means to seek out yourself, what it means to create yourself, and then some. So I think it really is a, a film that does that. I mean, when I made that uh, film in 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 ninety six, um, in in ninety five, I was really trying to figure out who I was uh, in the beginning of uh, independent cinema, as well as in this moment of the culture wars, where you know every identity was being you know picked at and politicized for good and bad reasons. Right. So the Watermelon Woman was was my my call to arms to to make sure that my identity and my politics were visible and existed in cinema because it, it wasn't at that point. There was I think this new queer cinema up until the Watermelon Woman was pretty much white and male. M- mostly, yeah, um, except for Go Fish, I can't really point to a lot that was cuz cuz when you look at the seminal works of that time, I mean, and it was so important I mean, the first one I know of, really, that chronologically, I think, was probably Living End, unless I'm unless I'm mixing something up. I would say all the stuff that Christine was doing with Todd yes, Haynes, Poison, even his shorts yeah. and superstar and, and, and things of that nature. And I think yes, the, all that be that friendship was part of the beginning. Yeah. Um, and then you know we later see Tom Kalen. We later we later see killer films sort of existing as an entity that did this. In, in at least on the the East Coast, and then we then see Gregoraki 
on on this coast, uh, uh, right. uh, or on the west coast, doing doing work, and and, and then there are other places where things were happening. Because when I walked into that biennial um, with with the watermelon woman in '96, there already was a you know um, a Teddy Award for queer cinema. So you did have folks like Rosa von Preinheim. Mm-hmm. You, you did mm-hmm. have, you know, other European voices. Uh, uh, you had Isaac Julian, mm-hmm. um, you know, making work. Um, so uh, there was a context for it, but it wasn't as organized and politicized and then kind of, you know, launched by uh, 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 capitalism in, in the yes. U.S. way. It's inextricable um, from the movie business, <laughs> though. I mean, it's like the, the, right. the issue with, I mean, you know, and this is a, I, I don't want to get too off topic because I really want to talk about this, um, but it's inextricable because filmmaking is by nature, uh, it's not like, you know, writing in your room. It's like, you know, you, you need a bunch of people to do it. It will cost money. Even the lowest budget stuff costs money. I mean, I was looking at your early works, which you can... Honestly, like if you haven't seen Cheryl's early works, you should. It's on Vimeo. You can rent it on Vimeo, which is which is awesome. And these are such great shorts. I I think I saw a couple like running around the festival circuit over the years, um, but I hadn't seen a lot of these. And it's so lovely to see these very low budget, like shot on video, but extremely organic, extremely heartfelt, extremely like. There, there's a tangible quality to these movies and I recognize it as a, as a gay of a certain age. I recognize like, I'm like, I was at these parties. I was, I knew these women. Mm-hmm. I knew these men. Like this feels so real to me. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Well, I think what you were talking about, about, you know, needing community to make work and, and especially this type of work. And at that time period, um, and then needing, you know, what happened to it, this kind of queer indie would explode and capitalism jumped on it. But, you know, mine, my, again, my work really came from this, this sense of, of, of needing community, defining community, defining my relationship to that community and who I was as an identity in that community that I was and am, you know, a black queer woman, a black mm-hmm. lesbian, uh, and was not seeing myself in the work that was being made, period. Um, and and I, I meant that not only when I was doing it then, and it still is something now. Yeah, no, it but, hasn't. You know, it hasn't changed then, an awful lot. <laughs> it has not changed. I mean, we do have the Lena Waits. We do have you know a few other folks making making work, but in the the broader sense, especially within characters um, that uh, exist in you know the regular of shows, we do not have uh, you know your top four being a black queer woman's storyline. Um, without it being sort of tokenized or, you know, yeah. BCD yeah. or somebody's girlfriend or whatnot. But but I wanted to see that as the center. Um, and I think that's what was happening then. And again, I weirdly, and to my, you know, strength, I think, was birthed out of an MFA in fine arts in a, a studio practice. At Rutgers, right? So all, yeah, at Rutgers. So all those early works were really, you know, quote unquote, experimental film experimental video and 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 they allowed me to not have to address um capitalism or form or whatnot and kind of figure out my own storytelling so i think that really made the work stronger more relevant and had you know much more in it than you would say with a say a short film or even a a feature film Mm -hmm. from that time that was not you know about kind of queer identity 
uh, or, or even last that long. I mean, I don't think, you know, some of those works are being seen or digested because they're just about narrative. Um, and, and, and I think mine's about a little bit more. It's also really notable, and, and this is something you're known for and your work is known for, is that it's extraordinarily personal in that mm-hmm. you put yourself in the movie. And a lot of the times you, you, you have the actors turn to the camera, break the fourth wall. I know this was in the owls. I know this was in a lot of the shorts and say, you know, I'm, I'm Gwen Turner. I play her character's name. I don't remember her character's name, but it's like mm-hmm. you, you mm-hmm. literally bring the audience in and, and, and kind of shine, you know, shine a light on the fact that this is a film. You are making a film. This is an artifice, mm-hmm. but then it, it, just one cut away we're in this very kind of improv-y, Altman-y, handheld kind of mishmash of voices and stuff going on, which is incredibly organic. And yet, as the audience member, I'm watching and I'm just like, okay, you just told me you're an actor playing a scene, but now you're in this kind of improv space. So it's like my relationship to what I'm seeing is on two levels. It's like, I know it's a movie and yet I'm in the thing because it's naturalistic at the same time. And this was a style that you kind of fomented and embraced in these early works, right? Right. And this is what, again, the art making experimentation process, you know, came from, I think, uh, I had, you know, had professors like Martha Rossler, you know, meeting Martha, Martha Giever, um, uh, the early works of Barbara Hammer. Yeah. Um, uh, all these people were coming through my graduate years, um, and they were speaking to a variety of artists, right? But uh, you know, I was picking up on what I t- taking away from what I needed in 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 that that, that storytelling and that playfulness and like how you can um, you know put yourself in the picture again. Marlon Riggs stuff, yeah. stuff, seeing at that point. And inventing my own cinema. It was not just about me writing a film. It was trying to invent uh, something that was unique. And and things that actually lived in, say, the Whitney Biennial, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, lived in the art world. Lived in a world that rotated that way. And that's really where, you know, part of the birth of the Watermelon Woman and some of my later works really speak to that invention. It's like, it, it needs to look different. It needs to feel different. It needs to... Um, also play with narrativity because we all have stories to tell um, and it needs to look the same in a different way. And I think that my my doing that in The Watermelon Woman um, and doing that in some of my later work, trying to make everything look the same, mm-hmm. uh, but just looking from a black lesbian per- perspective and having, you know, a black lesbian in, in, in the middle of her life, in the middle of her experience and not coming out and going through tragedy and being, you know, right. uh, victimized or, or whatnot, but just just living, living her everyday life. As a fact. As, yeah. as a fact. And I, that, that was my, you know, a, and as a story. Right. Um, so that's really what I was trying to do. And I just kept doing it and doing it. And so now it's this body of work. And now there's others making, you know, who are able to storytell about themselves or their community. Um, and, and nobody else is going to do it but you. That's, you know what? That's a really important point. And, you know, one of the things that I did last season on on the Outcast was I would ask everyone, and you know, I talked to Christine Vachon, I talked to a bu- like a bunch of amazing people, and I was just like, aside from just do it, what advice would you give? And what I learned from that whole thing, because I always hated that advice when I was coming up as a filmmaker, I was like, damn it, if I could just do it, I would just do it. <laughs> but one of the things I learned, and and there were a couple of indie filmmakers, H.P. Mendoza was one of them. It's like there is no other real advice. 
Mm-hmm. except to just do it. And it's the hardest thing and it's, it feels impossible, but I feel like you're one to kind of like point to as a, an artist who just did, you really did just do it. Watermelon woman was made for very little money. It was made like, you know, partially on video, partially on 16 mil. And you melded these mediums together into this hole that works so well. Um, I mean, you tell this story and it's like, you know, I know from a filmmaker's perspective, I'm watching it. I know it didn't cost much, but I didn't care. Like, you know, it's like, this was, this was almost right. like, it wasn't even a liability. This was almost like it added to kind of the flavor and the, and the charm of it that I'm watching this movie. I'm like, this is a cool movie. Look, this is, they did it. Yeah. I think we thought that video was going to be cheap and, and you know, <laughs> I, I'm doing video and, and 16 in a moment where it's an analog right. world. Right. Right. So nobody remembers it's pre, that. Pre so HD. No, no HD. No, like yes. no digital. This is None all analog tape. And, and for those, for those in the audience who think that everything on digital is cheap and endless in the nineties, you, you had to transfer the video to 16 to cut it into the movie. And that cost a, a chunk. A I'm chunk sure. A change, a chunk of change. Um, and you know, just to deal, it became, so not what I thought it was for me, but it wasn't, it was my mission. It was, you know, my voyage to, to becoming visible from, you know, from the mar- mar- from margins to center in a way, you know, me going through that fire. Cause I, I, again, I was in art school. I wasn't in film school. Right. I would have made some other decisions <laughs> about, you know, or I would have had the uh, MFA, you know, thesis grant money and the, the equipment. We had to do it all ourselves. Right. And, Hence the choice to use video, because um, I had been doing video art. But um, but it works. It really did. It worked. It worked, and it still works. I mean, you could do it now just with the push of a button on your iPhone to kind of change the, <laughs> the look of it to look like film. Um, but uh, uh, but I think the spirit is what works. One of the things that I noted was, and one of the things I kept thinking about when I watched Watermelon Woman and your early works, and I'm going to get to the later works as well, um, your influences and it's like you took you you like kind of remixed a bunch of filmmakers that i'd seen and made it something really unique and special like i saw not a lot of people know the movie sherman's march by ross McElwee, which is who was a documentary and he got money for it this was in the 80s and he basically turned it into this personal story where he's just talking to the camera and it's basically about his love life and if I remember correctly, how he's like obsessed with these Southern bells or something. It was supposed to be a documentary about Sherman's March. And it ended up being this acclaimed documentary. But I don't remember seeing documentaries where the documentarian kind of was just like, okay, no, I'm going to talk. And it's from me now. Um, and then I saw, mm-hmm. you know, and, and but you also have these dynamics that I remember, like, you know, I, there's a bur- bit of Bergman in there. Um, there's a bit of Woody Allen mm-hmm. in there or Woody Allen doing Bergman or whatever you want to call it. You know, I right. mean, there's, there's who, why don't you tell me who are your influences on a lot of this? I'm I, right. For the big, for, for the watermelon woman, I think my biggest influence was uh, a film by Jim McBride called David Holtzman's Diary. Oh, yes. Yes. And it came out in 1967. It's a, a, a feature movie about this young f- filmmaker trying to decide something in and uh, his life. Um, it, 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 he eventually gets drafted. You see this whole process. Eventually, he makes a uh, one of the more fun part is he makes. Um, uh, there used to be uh, booths. You know how there are photo booths? Well, there are booths where you could go and record and make a little uh, record. 
So he does that in it. He does uses all these kind of mediums and, and ways with his 16 camera and talks about the 16 cameras can record life. And, um, and then in the end, you see the credits. And you see all the actors who are playing the part. <laughs> he played uh, L.M. Carson played David Holtzman. His, his girlfriend, Eileen Dietz, was uh, playing. Eileen, uh, Eileen uh, Dietz, uh, the, the, uh, the, the, the double yeah. for Linda Blair and The Exorcist? Oh, my God. I'm such a nerd that I yes, know that. Yes, yes. I can't believe that. I didn't know that. Louise Levin. Like, all these, like, wonderful people were in it. And you're just like, oh, my God. No. The, was I being fucked with? It was all you artifice. Know, it, 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 it was all artifice, and I was like, I can do it. I can do that. I will. Um, but also, it's filled with uh, the city of New York, because it was about New York. So, you, so all the other moments in between, um, it's this, it's this uh, homage or this goodbye, eventually, because he's he's uh, getting drafted and has to leave, and his life is changing. Um, uh, as well as this being the Vietnam War, you see the effects of this on 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 new york city um and so the city becomes a character Mm -hmm. and so that's really what i want like a diary does uh and i uh really wanted to make uh that 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 just uh, that that changed all those loose ideas and put it into uh a a film uh a film within the film within the film uh, you know a diary within a you know uh Political action, a, a, you know, a way to make oneself visible—you uh, know—all those things were going on at the same level, and, and it worked. Another movie I wanted to ask you if you had seen and inspired you is the William Greaves movie, whose name I have to look up because I can never get it right. Sick and man of plus. Yes, yeah, somebody. Oh, wait, hold on. I'm <laughs> yeah. going to say this because we're in, we're we're in a podcast and we can't show it. It's Symbiopsychotaxiplasm. I had I, yes. I had to look yep. it up, but had you seen that when you when you did Watermelon Woman? Yes, uh, I again going to grad school was the and and going to uh, undergraduate uh, communications program MFA uh, uh, radio television film my my BA um, gave me all that language beyond and this is why I tell uh, folks why like should I go to school should I not go to school go to school if you want to make your own work because you get to use the equipment yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So it gave me the equipment to make these, you know, to to jumpstart me into doing these when I didn't have any money, um, proper equipment and a community to tell it. But yeah, I had seen that. I'd seen. Uh, I mean, it, I I saw a lot of stuff that um, lived more in the art world, mm-hmm. you know, too. Mm-hmm. And so I think like like a Barbara Hammer, right? Um, uh, uh, um, and and so it, I was even early works of of. Uh, Isaac Julian, mm-hmm. as well as Tom Kalen's early work, um, I got to see uh, for uh, video for AIDS and, and AIDS activists, and simply uh, all those kind of shorts are being made by then. Um, so I was, you know, hell excited um, and excited to do that too. Right. Not just make myself visible, not just make, uh, you know, a. Uh, uh, a, a romance or a coming out story, you know, even like Go Fish was something like that. But I really wanted to change the way we um, tell stories, the way that we um, uh, tell truth, you know, and, and it's, it's truth, you know, constructed, um, uh, who constructs our truths but ourselves. I want to bond with you for a moment because I grew up in Philly. Mm. 
And when I was re-watching The Watermelon Woman, I had completely forgotten about TLA Video. Mm. So I have to take a moment, because I worked at TLA Video in Chestnut Hill when they opened up the TLA Video in oh. Chestnut. I did in the 80s. I was in high school. Uh, but I saw I saw those boxes. I saw TLA Video. So for those of you who don't know, in Philadelphia, there was this thing called the TLA, which was a repertory house on South Street. Mm-hmm. And they would show amazing stuff. Um, closed a while ago. Uh, became kind of a live venue uh, uh, for a bit. and um, But they had three video stores. And the third one they opened up was in Chestnut Hill, which was like, I mean, now it's a she-she part of town with a lot of old houses. At the time, it was a little... It was a little more of a fixer, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> but that that TLA downtown. Did you work there? You know, I always wanted to work at TLA. I never got the job. Uh, what? I know. I went in. Did and Ray Murray say no to you? He was just like, "No, we're it not hiring a, you." One of those things where, okay, well, I'll make my character have a video store job. I never got that. <laughs> job. So I never, I never had a, t- a video job. But they, again, you could be anything you want in, in cinema. Um, Imagineering. <laughs> so I, I actually worked at DLA. You know, everybody says that. that was, you must. She must have been a video store. I was a video store employee. You know? <laughs> anyway, it, but, but I was like, working in restaurants. I was busing or cooking or whatever I did. You're probably that. making more than I did. Eventually, <laughs> but it allowed me to have the the freedom to um, you know. Uh, dream about it. So no, yeah. I never worked at TLA. TLA eventually ended up uh, releasing, turning into a releasing thing. It went moved to New York. Yep. Remember that? And then it started. Yeah, release. yeah, in Eighth Street. Uh huh. And, and then it released. Um, uh, Mommy is coming. Actually. Uh, oh, okay. Uh, so you you would end up finding, and they still do releasing now, but it's we don't even know what's going to happen with with TLA um, releasing and, and entertainment this way because I think. COVID and streamers and whatnot have really yeah. changed that, that market. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens in the next couple of years with, with um, small, uh, unless they inc- you know, um, collaborate and form some sort of new right. corporate thing. It's, I think all these things are going to sadly to say disappear unless they become like some sort of streamer or something. What I hope will happen um, with, you know, how streamers are getting kind of coalescing uh, we need like the Fandor and the movie and all of them mm-hmm. to basically just like and even criteria. Like I love Criterion Channel. That's like my favorite streamer because I'm a nerd. Um, uh, that and HBO Max, but really Criterion Channel. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, if we just had one price tag for Fandor and movie and mm-hmm. and all of those like little things and just like you know five bucks a month and you get all of these indie films. I would jump all over that. I, exactly. I think a lot of people would. It's, it's just, they're just splintered right now, and I feel like they all need to come together. Like just yeah. economically, I feel like they need to come together. Yep, I, I remember. This is quite funny. Back in the trying to watch as many different cinemas as I could, from you know uh, German cinema, German you know um, Japanese cinema, whatever. Back in the nineties, I was actually saying, I wish there was a way I could just like push a button and see anything that I wanted to see. And there was no internet or whatever. <laughs> and now we have it. I wish I had like, been are. able, I wish I had been, you know, into engineering or whatever and just been able to kind of make that. But no, I decided to be a filmmaker. I could have been a civil, I could have been an engineer, a computer engineer, but here I am making films. Can I, can I tell you something? I'm really glad you're a filmmaker. Oh, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad too. I'm, I'm just kidding. I always say that. I say that when we're, um, you know, day seven, you know, 
trying to make our day on yeah. a, a, you know, You're shooting like, some episodic show. It's like, you know, why Hour am 12. I here? We have 10 <laughs> minutes to kind of get a big shot, you know. We didn't, our masters, uh, every, the actors, uh, like, I, I could have been, you know, I could have been a rocket scientist. Yeah. I could have been a brain surgeon. You could, you could, be, you could be at home <laughs> sipping some hot tea, I, I could be, watching, yeah. some, watching something. You know, just be like, oh, isn't this or, lovely? Or, you know what, I could have had a V8. <laughs> That's what I say. I could have had a V8. So look, after after Watermelon Woman, mm-hmm. and it, that took this. Like, where did it premiere? Did it premiere at Sundance? I, I don't remember. It where did it not. Again, these are places Those where guys. they. I mean, there's so many things that change like <laughs> since between now and then. It did not premiere at Sundance. Everybody thinks it does, but it didn't get in. Wow. Um, again, there's a, a lot of stuff that's still going on, was going on around race, class, and gender, and images by, made, for, and about folks of color, all the way up to the Oscars this year. I mean, we could talk about that yeah. with, with other stuff, but definitely there is this ism, I don't know which one it is, uh, of not in, including you know uh, wor- works by queer folks that are interesting, that are different, that you really don't know what it's mm-hmm. about, and you go on the uh, odd side instead of the safe side uh, to, d- to do stuff on the interesting side of the diverse or inclusive side. But that inclusivity wasn't wasn't something that was was important uh, in cinema, uh, right. new, new cinema at this this time. It was still like, um, I mean, if it were, I would already be. Uh, you know, making the Mandalorian, I, like all these people who came up <laughs> in indie cinema yes. with me, just in the broader sense. If you look at all the directors who were making their first feature, say in '98, the late '90s, yeah, yeah. Um, who are white and male, have fabulous careers now, fabulous, right? Um, and you know, the invisibility politics um, that was going on for for as you add added more to the you know totem pole of women of color of you know. Uh, queer, whatnot. Uh, mm-hmm. You're further away from that 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 egg, that golden egg, and those alliances right. and that ability to kind of because you know, I still, you know, have to interview for a job. People aren't like, right. I want Cheryl Janae to do that, and no interview. This is right. very few. I would say that this year is a year where it's turned around. Where like Misha said to me, you know, I I was offered um, to do that episode of Lovecraft, uh, uh, the fifth episode. Um, which people are talking mm-hmm. about. I was, I've been offered... Lovecraft yeah, Country. Lovecraft Country. Yeah. Um, so there, there are a few things that people offer me that are, are like that. But the rest of them, I still am like having to go through an interview, right. having to talk the language of this, you know, having to talk to these executives who yeah. generally are white and male um, and and about myself. I mean, even, even for uh, my episode of mm-hmm, Pride, mm-hmm. Uh, the executives I had to talk to about wanting to do it on Audrey Lord. I said, I want to do it on Audrey Lord and Barbara Hammer. And they, I heard the executive mm-hmm. going, oh, Audrey Lord, I never heard of her. Very interesting. I think that, I, I think that'd be interesting. I never heard of her. Hold it. Oh, she's an author too. Oh, I was like, what? Yeah. yeah. You know, turn my head around. Head explodes. Mm-hmm. You you kind of blew the lead because the 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 big happy ending to this entire interview is like and now you are an incredibly prolific uh, and successful TV director and doing tons like you just look at your IMDb and it's like as in the last four years 
it's blown up. I mean, you've done everything from Dear White People to The Cheat. Right, I, mean, I know. I mean, so many I, um, I think, you know, being tapped by Ava, knock on wood. Um, Ava DuVernay, and, yeah. Yeah, Ava DuVernay tapped, you know, women like myself who had been around in some sort of, you know, independent cinema moment um, and now I've been given the opportunity to make episodic because it's a boys club to break in. So that's what that sh- Queen Sugar is about. It's about yeah, Queen Sugar, directors yeah. being able to, you have to direct like one episode of episodic to get into the DGA, to get your, your you know, signatures on the sheet to then be, mm-hmm. you know, uh, to get an agent, to get a manager, and then to get, you know, hired on other jobs. And that's what everyone uh, mm-hmm. gave that opportunity to every Queen Sugar director. I think there was a few on there who already had done some episodic work before. It wasn't even called episodic. It was just like a series, you know, television. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I, I luckily did that. And just the cards just lined up with, with the work that I was getting. Um, most of that work being with uh, queer showrunners. And then it went on to being queer showrunners of color like David Makes Man mm-hmm. um, and The Shy with Lena Waith and, and David Makes Man with Terrell McCraney to the point where, you know, I'm on bigger and bigger shows and uh, with more and more mm-hmm. uh, folks and showrunners that look like me and, and believe in the sort of uh, stuff that I began with, which is we want to see a, a, a create a episodic that feels like... Uh, or like early independent cinema that's ex- that's exploring new ways mm-hmm. to to do narrative and again I'm I'm blessed to have met uh, these showrunners and beyond these shows that are are wanting me to explore that and and knowing that that creates more of an audience and it it just what they want it, it, everybody's tired of of the way things roll and I think that the, more and more shows are, are looking to me to kind of come come with that pizzazz. Um, and come come with the, the inclusion that I you get, not just with um, being able to check off a box saying I have a black woman lesbian. Uh, <laughs> that we, we we did it all by hiring you, Cheryl. We've done it for the year, but you know, then they also get what you know that brings intellectually and and spiritually. Well, and it's it, it comes down to an authentic voice, which is really mm-hmm. kind of what your brand has been from the very, very beginning. Like, you know, in, in those early works and in Watermelon Woman. And, and what I want to talk about next is after Watermelon Woman, it ran around to tons of festivals. It got all of these awards. Mm-hmm. What what was your life like? What happened? And, and, and the next thing you did was a few years later. Right. Well, with the Watermelon Woman, I realized, okay, I made the film project that I really wanted to make. And one of the other things I've always wanted to do was have a kid, so I oh. did that. So I, I, I give birth to um, Simone, uh, my wonderful kid, who's now 23. Um, and they, uh, are, uh, they go by they mm-hmm. um, as a pronoun. They just graduated from, uh, not this year, but last year, from a Cooper Union oh, and, wow. as an artist. And um, they... Uh, so it's like I, I, I even I did that right, you know. <laughs> I feel really good about that. That that Simone chose to be an artist in a moment where who wants to a paper maker? Yeah, wow! Um, uh, like really going to their true spirit and and had the support to do what they wanted to do. Um, and uh, so I did that, uh, and that opened the door for me to really think about. Um, uh, and and Alex also then had Gabe. 
So we're mm-hmm. starting to think about family. Um, and Alex is my baby mama, and, and mm-hmm. we use the same donor. So Simone has a brother, and we, we're just family. Uh, so one, with family in place, and with a blended family, as they call it, uh, and you know people not looking, having different access to privilege, right. is where the, the fuel for, for a Stranger Inside came about, because mm-hmm. I was looked at being a, you know, a dark-skinned black woman pushing a stroller in an upper-middle-class neighborhood right. uh, as the help. Right, as right, right. somebody who needed something, as, you know, and I just started putting the pieces together to think about women mm-hmm. um, inmates and uh, women who look like me and where they're with the toss of a coin, you could end up someplace else. And what would that narrative be like? I mean, so, Stranger Inside, stylistically, and certainly on a budget level, because this was the first time you got, like, you know, it was a seven-figure budget. I mean, this was over, over a million bucks, right? This was made for HBO. Um, and... It's, it's, it's very, I mean, it's, it's the 20th anniversary. Um, I had never seen it before. Mm -hmm. I watched it and it's, I was not prepared knowing your other work. I was not prepared for how this felt and looked and played. It is, it is harsh. It is, you know, it it gets you in the solar plexus. I mean, you're, you're just watching and you're just like, oh my God. And those performances Mm. are Yolanda Ross is, I can't even, I can't even talk about, I mean, it's just, she is so unbelievably good. Mm-hmm. And there are a few things that she, you know, learns in the last act of this film and she, yeah. things that she has to react to that I just felt viscerally. Like, tell me how, like, you, you kind of told me where the, the genesis of this came from, but like, tell me how you got to make Stranger Inside and how that was to shoot. Oh, yeah. Thank you for asking that. Um, so... Beyond, you know, the nugget of the idea came from a lot of research, uh, research into, uh, you know, the personal part of it. That's, that was that for me. Um, but then I started to research women in prison. I saw every woman in prison movie that was around the series, the big dollhouse. I love a Pam Greer moment, <laughs> cage teed and, you know, all the concrete jungle, women in cages. I mean, there's a whole genre of women in prison prison movies, yeah. as well as documentaries at this time. Um, but there was not a lot of narrative. I think Prisoner in Cell Block H was the one thing that was around. That dates <laughs> me, too. Um, and uh, just love that, uh, uh, that we care. But then also seeing these docs and, and seeing the world of uh, women inmates growing in, in the real world, uh, uh twice as much as men, three times as much, uh, and nobody talking about it except for Angela Davis, I knew then I was on to something, right? So that's really what opened the door was I was junk teaching, running into places where there were lectures happening and Angela Davis had to be lecturing. And so that, you know, because you make a film, sometimes not just sitting, writing in, in front of your, you know, computer or paper and pen at that point that we have, typewriter, um, you you make a film or, or c- create a show or make a piece of art um, by doing the dishes, mm-hmm. by gardening, by laying in bed at night. You know, you know, not re- not thinking about it hard, just letting. It's when the your mind's at rest. Yeah, give your mind a rest and let the things froth. Um, so the frothing was having all these you know cultural experiences. 
then I was able to dig deep. Um, but like, it's like going to the library, getting all the books you can on a subject, but uh, getting the book that's on the top of the shelf or getting the, like, seeing all everything that's PN nineteen nine you know, nine one nine nine two or one nine nine six, whatever it is for film books. But going through all of them and like leaving like with as much you can because there's a little bit of something in everything. I mean, we have the internet for that, but it's still, you know, being able to go to a library when once they're open and some places they are open already, um, and just taking a, a, a collective understanding of the subject mm-hmm. uh, was what really allowed me to 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 make um, Stranger and and put together uh, a, a narrative that. Uh, I was able to use to pitch the Walker Art Center, um, where I was touring with the Watermelon Woman uh, in the art, she screened it there in an art context. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said to them, look, you guys have a women's prison here. I have an idea about a screenplay that I am working on about women inmates. Mm-hmm. Could I come and, 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 and visit that prison and maybe do a workshop? And they were like, yes, 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 come. And so that's really that put the icing on the, 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 the cake there with that, with the with Stranger Inside was being able to workshop in Minneapolis at the Walker Art Center. Cheryl uh, Mosley was the curator of the art uh, department, the video the film department. And these women told me how, like, I had it on the nose or I didn't have a nose. Right. Um, when we did our workshop. And I was able to do uh, a play with uh, photography again. I had brought Kathy Opie in to photographed the inmates in a mugshot style and I made a whole kind of performance art piece because I didn't have the money to make the feature at that point. Nobody was biting. Um, had a new screenplay, had Kathy Opie's photos and went out with it again and ran into Jim McKay, mm-hmm. who had a, a company with Michael Stipe. Uh, and those two walked me and I. Uh, we found a line producer at the time named Evie Brown. And uh, we walk into HBO together, uh, this group, and uh, we get, and I, I, it's so funny, at, at, this, at this moment of this meeting with Maude Nadler and HBO, and maybe there was another exec there, um, so uh, Maude's like, well, who's going to be a producer? And I look <laughs> at Effie, and I go, Effie Brown is a producer. <laughs> and, and so Effie's a producer now. So this is this moment where... Again, inventing ourselves on the spot, and and so she ended up sort of uh, becoming moving up with this one and, and produced it. Just for Variety takes you beyond the red carpet with Mark Malkin, Variety columnist and senior editor of Culture and Events. Each week he talks film, TV, pop culture, and news with Hollywood's biggest names. Join Mark as he dishes about the latest stories and reveals intimate celebrity portraits connecting fans with their favorite stars. Catch Just for Variety this week to hear why Hollywood has Mark Malkin in their ear. Find it on iHeartRadio and Apple Podcasts. want to know more about Outfest? Of course you do. You're listening to this podcast. Outfest is the only LGBTQIA arts, media, and entertainment nonprofit organization in the world whose programs empower artists, communities, and filmmakers alike to transform the world through their stories while also supporting the entire life cycle of their career from outset to legacy. And what that means is it is one of the largest LGBT film festivals in the world and one of the largest film festivals in North America 
America. Also, Outfest has a tremendous number of programs for young filmmakers, as well as archivists preserving gay stories for all time. It is a truly outstanding organization, and especially right now, we would love your help. Please go to outfest.org and learn how you can become a member of this fantastic organization. Stranger Inside. It's a really fantastic movie, and it's been out of kind of circulation for a while, and I'm, I'm hoping it comes back. I'm hoping HBO Max puts it up or something. It's about this inmate named Treasure, uh, played by Yolanda Ross, who learns her mother is in a, a maximum security facility. So she she gets in trouble on purpose mm-hmm. to be mm-hmm. put in there with her mother, like to be in the same facility. And they start a relationship, and um, things get heavy. Things get things get complicated, and uh, she meets a number of other prisoners. One by played by Rain Phoenix, who I, I honestly, having seen even Cowgirls, had written off as an actor, like completely. But then I saw this, I'm like, oh my god, mm-hmm. no, she's an actor. She could really act. This is like her performance is really great, and I was so thrilled to see that. Yeah. Um. Not to not to defame even Cowgirls because it has its charms, but I I didn't I didn't care for her performance in that. Um. Uh, but it's, it's, it's a really like the way that you do this. And there are these, these cutaways to these, again, very, very Dunye-esque documentary-esque moments with, I'm assuming real prisoners, or at least they feel like real prisoners. If they were actors, that was amazing. Yes. Some are, and, and, and bringing cultural community folks over Mm -hmm. people who are always being influenced. I'm now living in LA and introduced to Medusa, right? Mm. I was like, oh my God. Again, how, like Toshi was the watermelon woman. How can I bring the music of this world mm-hmm. um, uh, into uh, the film that I'm working on? So Medusa, I, I asked her, "Can you be in the film?" And she said, "Yeah." So she she goes in and she sings this prison work song because I was researching prison songs, uh, walking across the, the 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 campus of the women's facility that we the created. the the scene where they're singing that song and they're kind of walking down. It's yeah. like, it's very powerful because there, there, it does hearken to that kind of stereotype of the, the, you know, the, the slavery in the South. It really felt like this kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. wow, I could be seeing this in like, you know, a, a gone with the wind esque, like, you know, except it's not because it's like modern and you're making a comment about it. I mean, it was very, very pointed. Right. Um, so, you know, there, there's a ton of field recordings uh, made in the 30s and 40s from Library of Congress and, and, and our, you know, our, 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 our government allowing folks to do that as their um, uh, uh, work, <laughs> I would say. So Alan Lomax was one who was uh, in charge of going out to run these field recordings or kind of created mm-hmm. that, you know... Uh, um, aspect of uh, documenting American folk life. Mm-hmm. And so he would just go around to all different parts of America in the 30s and 40s after the, the Great De- you know, Depression happened and uh, would just document people singing and like little folk songs were forgetting about people, playing a little guitar. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, a lot of this appears in other people's films, but this is where I found these these folks just singing about their lives and singing about being on the chain mm-hmm. gang. And again, this truth that I used to make a fiction with, again, going back to kind of what the core of what I like to play with. Um, and I, I played that song when we rehearsed as a mm-hmm. cast. 
Um, and then I said, Medusa, can you sing this? She said, oh, yeah, I could bump that. <laughs> so she actually, you know, we have them walking down, you know, singing one of these It's a great songs. moment. And, it's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's a, good, it's, a really good it's, moment. It's very powerful. I mean, and it goes back to something that if you kind of want to do a deep take, like you do comment on the cinema nature of cinema. In other words, we're watching it. We're mm-hmm. aware that mm-hmm. we're watching it from time to time. Like, like I'm like, I'm mm-hmm. in it, but mm-hmm. I'm not in it, but I'm simultaneously in it and aware that I'm watching it at the same time. That kind of like tightrope that your work walks, like what, what turns you on about that? Like, like keeping the audience, you don't want the audience to completely escape, but you also don't want the audience to be completely out of your work at the same time. That's a right. very difficult line. Well, I, uh, Yes. Thank you for putting that together. Yeah. I really do want audiences to remember where real stories, the truth behind real stories, mm-hmm. right. Where they really come from. So I have to figure out how to put that truth into some of the, you know, narrative mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and the storyline. So, Having, um, say, for example, T, the character T, um, be a photographer mm-hmm. who is trying to document prison life with a, you know, with a pinhole camera um, was, was allowing me to kind of do the, the other layer that I love to add to um, my work, which is art or, you know, a text or, a, you know, like, like I was doing a video art, you know, having a, uh, or, or, or a montage or an archival piece. So that element is also in the film. You get, you know, Shadow, um, played by uh, T. Higgins, uh, uh, going around documenting you know, on the on the DL these groups in in, in the, the prison that, that that they're in and all these experiences. So, and then that art that that level of photography, which is done with in collaboration with Zoe Leonard for the Watermelon Woman. Mm. I was friends with Kathy Opie, and so she takes all these pictures of of the women. Uh, and the cast and the crew, um, and that exists as its own, you know, document. I like having layers of mm-hmm. existence. I, I would say mm-hmm. they call it transmedia now. In the capitalist world, you get the the video game, you get the IP, you get the mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, you, <laughs> then you get the show, then you get the spinoff show, and then you get the spinoff spinoff show, and um, and it's all owned by you know the mouse. Right, right, right. <laughs> Or, or AT&T, like that, is, or actually not AT&T yeah, anymore, but we'll... Right, right. <laughs> wherever, whoever. But, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, but, uh, you know, I try to do that within my own, um, you know, a, a harmonious and creative way within my own uh, uh, legacy and, 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 and who I am as Cheryl as an artist in my own world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's what I did with Stranger. So I did, I did that with Stranger, too. And so it has many texts in it. Mm-hmm. People can listen to it for music. People can look at it visually. People can look at it as, you know, in the art world. And people also can look at it as a, a, a narrative. Um, and then, uh, which is amazing, it's a piece of television. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a moment where nobody was doing uh, this type of independent film for, uh, you know, a streamer. Mm-hmm. And it's streaming looked a lot different too. This did show it Sunday. Yeah. Um, as one of those sort of like, let's show your film or your episode. Maybe they felt guilty. <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think that was it. I mean, bit. not that not that Stranger um, Inside shouldn't play at Sundance. It absolutely deserves to, but it's like, you know, right? it's like, well, good for you guys. Um, would you, like, here's a question. And this is something I was thinking of. Would you want to revisit Treasure 
now? Yes, I've already tried to revisit her in many ways. I think people, even when I was out there pitching the revi- to revisit a prison uh, series, uh, somebody else who heard the idea went off and made a series about women in prison. And we saw that mm. live. Orange. Oh, no. <laughs> but it's gone already. <laughs> it's when it came and it went. And even the storyline with Rain Phoenix is in there, but it happened already and it's gone. So there's space for another one. I think there's one in like um in 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 Australia somewhere there's another women in prison show on that's popular. But yeah, I wanted to do just take her out and put a whole narrative. I mean, the thing is I left the open door at the you end. You did. And she was going into a new prison. Oh, I don't want to give it away, but you know what yeah. happened, but she's in no, a, another Don't facility. give it away, because the ending and of this movie knocked me on my ass, and it, I think it would knock everyone on their ass. It's so good. and mm-hmm. But I mean, do you think mm-hmm. the treasure would still be in prison? I mean, actually, what I was thinking was like, could she just be out living her life? I mean, I want to know this character. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was so... she And Yolanda, she was so damn good. I mean, she was so good in this movie. Yeah, she got the... Um, Gotham Award for her performance, which is uh, one of the most lauded indie yeah. uh, independent uh, awards for new actors. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely have, I mean, look, social justice is something I believe in, in all my storytelling and, you know, heart and soul, uh, you know, talking about uh, real people and transformational incidents and histories. And, you know, that's, that that's, that's my jam. That's, that's what I do. Um, so I, I've thought, many a times about this and I, there's many other stories to tell um so uh there are some bigger stories right now than that one that i'm going to go back to but again this is a moment of invention so i'm like really playing around with my own archive uh, which i think was what happened to me during covid right. is like sit down and look what you've done right um and you know there's stuff here to play with one thing about the watermelon is it's like, too much it was a film. It was a, you know, there's a lot there. So I'm, I was, I'm able to like extract some of the, the stories in that as well as with Stranger. I tried to do so many things in my work. Mm-hmm. I think as people of color, in particular queer people of color, when we, we try to do too much so we can get it all, you know, to, to you know, even we've been higher in the job market. We, we take the first thing, <laughs> or, you know, we got to show it all, right? Because this is the only opportunity we're going to get. There's a, there's um, a desperation there's a behind desperation it that's endemic politics. in like the identity. Yeah. yeah, and so I think that you know there's a way I could have trickled it out a little bit more. You know. Well, I want to double dutched it. <laughs> <laughs> Keep on. Well, after Stranger Inside, you took a very dramatic left turn and did a movie that was much mm-hmm. bigger budget, um, very mainstream, um, and you know I wanted to talk to you about it because I had never seen it before. I just watched it. It's called My Baby's Daddy. Right. Um, you did not write this. You were basically, were you just no. a director for hire? Director for hire, desperation politics. Agents and managers hawked on me for years. Nobody could find a way for me to fit into right. any of the woods that were going on at the time. Nobody, you know, I was the forgotten, you know, person in the sense of like, hey, I have this great idea for another film, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, like nobody wanted to see, like, I was not... On 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 the the boards anymore with that. Right. Even trying to get in the L word world, they did not hire me, which I I find shocking about I, the Eileen then than the Eileen now. Mm-hmm. But I still have more hire <laughs> Eileen. But um, 
it's uh, it's definitely interesting to see the you know the communities within the communities with the communities who kind of keep uh, you know that's one good thing about the queer community is that we you know we support each other and ourselves and you know right. There, there are groups within it who reach outside of it or elevate themselves within it. And I think the, there's a queer right. Hollywood club, boys and girls, who look a certain way and act a certain way and just have been supporting themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the mafias, at some point, there's a gay mafia in, in Hollywood and we know who right. they are. Um, <laughs> and a, 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 a lesbian will not be invited in that. Mm. <laughs> Easily. Well, wait, what was the um, experience? I mean, and we don't have to talk about this film because I, I, if you don't mm-hmm. want to, but it's like, what was the experience like? Well, it's just you know going to. I, I, I that at that point I was actually on the board of Outfest. Mm-hmm. So at that point I'm somebody who has made Stranger Inside. It showed at Outfest. It won the award. I'm award winning. Watermelon Woman, and, you know, a professor this, and, you know, traveled there, that, and a film showed, you know, international filmmaker of ilk with heavy work that people have written about. Uh, agent managers trying to, you know, get me to in jobs on scripts or, or shows or whatever. Yeah. Um, you got cred. I had cred, and I had script ideas. Uh, I had written scripts, original ideas, and people just would not budge so it was like you know i need to work yeah. i want to work i need to grow I, I gotta do something so i literally which is quite funny was just going into the interview for that uh my baby's mama it was called at that point um and walking through the lobby was uh eddie griffin and he double takes and goes what you here for <laughs> yeah, uh, you know <laughs> hi i knew who he was uh I'm uh, here to you know, interview as a director for this project. He says, come on, let's go in. Like, and basically, he just befriended me. He's like, I want this woman to make my, my thing. Wow. And I was like, okay, rock, rock. Here we go. Uh, I didn't know what I signed up for, but it was so, so many interesting twists and turns and things that go to that that pull me so far away from my own you know, path of it's a, very different. Of a director. It's very, it's very, different. very different. So much compromise. Yeah. So much like that's when I first started, you know, losing, you know, um, turning a little bit gray here. And, I and do know how that. Miramax, this was Miramax. This was Harvey. Harvey. You know, and, and the movie's running time, I think is under 90 minutes, which, which I'm just like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. Harvey, this movie, <laughs> this, I cannot imagine this movie did mm-hmm. not get eviscerated without you being present because I, mm-hmm. there are just so many. Yeah, am I right? I mean, I'm, I'm literally guessing. That's the Harvey's Miramax that, you know, was doing a variety of films and using indie directors. Uh, yep. 54. I'm trying to think of who else was uh, Billy. Billy's Hollywood Screen Kiss. Yes. That director was was another uh, victim. Tommy um, O'Haver. Yep, had had a Harvey moment as well, and you see these pretty shining things with their things, and finally, mm-hmm. you know, once you get put in that you know far away land uh, and left alone, uh, the Miramax yeah. machine could just pick at you, yep. like, and just pick and pick and pick and pick, and then tell you what to do. Um, and so that that film had you know it, it wasn't it didn't come out in the best sense. Mm-hmm. But it does have a, a following. People love the kind of 
raw humor of it. It it the, its box office, its budget was what twelve million dollars. It was like twelve million like dollars. That. Yeah, that's what I read. And the, uh, the box office is finally you know crossed some line, but people like that raw, raunchy, fun humor. And uh, I, I learned a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, I learned, uh, and, and, and uh, one of the biggest things was I needed to take a break. So that's where I, kinda, <laughs> I took a break, and I actually, you know, my life was falling apart at that point. And I, so I ended up, um, you know, breaking up with what, what I was dealing with in in in, in uh, many levels, personal and uh, professional, and uh, moving uh, to the Netherlands and wow. experiencing life abroad for several years. So after that, that, that I literally was. Um, I moved to the. Moved wow, to that must have been. I mean, it just must have been an extremely traumatic experience. I was. I, you know, in my, my history, just to say, I dire- I edited the director's cut of 54. I was brought in by Mark Christopher Ooh. in 2014. Uh, and it was a six month process oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. of, of like, because I knew the theatrical, but I did not know what Mark had shot. I did not know there was a movie under there. Mm-hmm. And he showed me the script and he showed me this like cobbled together VHS made from dailies that he had put together, which was very rough. And I'm like, oh my God, there's, there's a, there's a movie here because if you see the the theatrical version of 54, it's yeah. like, I mean, I think that, I mean, I don't even know which version because there are three or four versions and they're all of different, right. whatever. Right. Um, but I have never literally never seen a director's cut, which we ended up with. Finally, I think it, it went to Berlin in 2015. Um, yeah. I, I remember. Yeah, seeing yeah. Right there um, uh, I mean, I have never seen a director's cut further from the theatrical cut in my life of anything. I mean, it's, it's probably exists. I just mm-hmm. haven't seen it, but I was, it was just astonishing. So when I, when I watched my baby's daddy and I saw the runtime and I saw how it was edited, I'm like, Oh no, 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 no. This is, this is not her vision. This is like, there's, there's, there's mm-hmm. a lot here. That's like, this is not her. Yep. It was always like, you guys, what I wanted, like, I couldn't bring, first of all, I couldn't bring any of my stranger side team with me which i really wanted to bring a lot of like effie and other people no uh and it was the the, the thing was to isolate they won't let you bring nancy schreiber i, I uh she's fantastic nope, they didn't let me bring nancy they didn't let me bring any casting that everything was miramax you know miramaxed so uh the the way that my agents were working uh with me at that time was like you know you're there's a two-picture deal here Mm. There's something, you know, that Miramax is going to offer you if you do what they, you know, if you make the film with them. It's a carrot. Whatever. And so I never got that. <laughs> I never got that. I got a lot of heartache. And, you know, I just said, I'll never do that again. Period. End of story. I'm done Good with for it. You. I'm done with it. Well, but then your next film, I believe was the owls correct mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's real yeah. fascinating mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's real real fascinating and it's again you're reinventing yourself you're reinventing a genre i had never seen this drama uh, this this kind of a thriller from you i never mm-hmm, would have expected mm-hmm. it love that patricia highsmith whoa 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 um <laughs> that's it so. is actually it is. It's very Patricia Highsmith. I had not put that together, but it is. It's basically about uh, two lesbian couples uh, who, and I'm, I don't think this is really a spoiler because it's in the first like two minutes, mm-hmm. uh, have killed accidentally, somewhat killed a younger uh, lesbian at a party that they had, and and bury her mm-hmm. and and try to cover it up. And these 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 women are also. Uh, were in a very influential uh, band that had long since broken up. 
Uh, so they have all this history. They have these intersectional like histories with each other, and they are met by a stranger who may or may not have hidden motives. Uh, and it's it's real fun and it's real cool. And you shoot it in that way that's very you know handheld. It's it's very you. It goes back to your your style from from the nineties, but it's it has such a different vibe to it. Um, tell me about like what kind of brought that about. Well, um, I think uh, wanting to start at scratch again with what I did as a filmmaker, wanting to go back to maybe more, you know, a lot more of the ideals uh, that I believed in, uh, playing with form, didn't have a budget, had that, was that professor or assistant professor or whatever who did have that equipment um, and uh, was able to uh, use what I had to make a film um, and, you know, p- paying an homage and I wanted to play with genre. Yeah. Um, and I wanted to talk about, you know, uh, cinema itself this is going all raw um so we form a collective uh uh, uh you know the owls mm-hmm. um of people who uh contributed to the making of the film um in a collaborative way a parliament of owls is what it is and so a there's parliament a parliament of owls, owls production wow. and uh it became this whole thing uh and it it turned out well to me. I mean, I think it, it. There's lots of other bumps in the road with the project and the process, and and again, trying to do too many things in in short in a short amount of time, and not sort of taking some things out. I try to put. It's a lot. It's a good movie, it's a though. It's a good movie. It's like you know, and it's a very short movie. It's like seventy minutes or something. But it's like it's like you watch it, and right. I mean, first of all, I would watch Guinevere Turner read the phone book. <laughs> I just I think she's like her. She her she, her charisma is like so palpable, and she drives like a lot. She's the basically one of the main. Is she the, she's not really the protagonist. I would almost call her the antagonist of this movie, but she's like her force of nature in this movie is like, oh my God, you know, it's mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. she 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 performs more with one look than like most actors can do. Right. And, it's and amazing. What I wanted to do was bring back all the lesbian icons from, from early queer cinema. So I, I do bring yeah. back um, folks from Go Fish, myself from, you know, early lesbian mm-hmm. cinema, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. uh, 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 Lisa Gornick, that's her name, Lisa Gornick. I miss Lisa. <laughs> um, and B.S. Brody from Go Fish, too. Yes. So here you have all these icons. And so I was like, well, let's let's talk even about th- this moment that things have changed. Where what, what has happened to us in LGBT um, history? And, and, let's play, and play, let's play the genre together in the Ruby's game. So um, it, it was done in such an indie way. It was like, let's rent this fabulous house uh, Airbnb it for the weekend or a week or whatever we did, you know, some other rental service. It wasn't Airbnb. Let's, uh, you know, get the equipment. <laughs> Let's shoot at so-and-so's house. I mean, it was all done like that. Let's walk through the, you know, the desert a little bit to show, you know, these other moments. It was, just, it's a fun movie. It, it's it so much fun. fun. And it's like, and it's fun. that kind of independent cinema that like, it, you know, even when it's like rough, maybe even especially if it's rough, it, it just it's inspiring to watch because like you did go back and you just did it. You were like, OK, I'm going to mess with genre. I'm going to get these cool people who all know film, who have all made films, who have all either written or directed, uh, you know, and and make this movie. That's just this kind of special thing. And and 
and playing with genre on top of that. It was just a lot of fun to experience yeah, it. Yeah. So how would you differentiate doing, and this is a leading question, how would you differentiate doing features against doing TV, which is primarily kind of what you're, what you're doing at the moment? Um, well, at least the features that I was making, I was using my own community, right? So, and, and using them again and again, able to kind of build in that way, which I think, you know, Tarantino gets to do and, you know, a variety of other directors, you know, uh, Altman did. The lucky and, ones. You know, yeah, the lucky ones. Um, so I was able to bring, bring back, say, P. David Eversall, mm-hmm. who was one of my producers on Stranger to be a character in a couple, P, uh, Todd and David to be uh, the gay couple in the Owls. Um, I was able to keep my script the way it needed to be. And, and wanted it to be. I was able to cast the way that I wanted to cast. Uh, and I think I was able to do that in the features that I was making then. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if those would look that way because the stakes aren't as high. I, I knew it was going to go to festivals. Mm-hmm. Berlin is my festival, my jam. I always end up showing at Berlin. They wanted to bring directors back. Um, I didn't, I don't think it got into Sundance. So, you know, <laughs> here's an opportunity again. Um, so it allows you to have the control of it. But again, the compromises you, you you had to fund it yourself. You, right. you know it, it could take years to get it off the ground. This one was a rather quick because of the technology and the way I did it. Um, while episodic is not your show, you have many more tools to make the work. You get paid. <laughs> you, you you learn something or you don't, or and or, and you you finish it and you move on. And, and, and that's the one, one thing that, and, and you go to another show. Uh, so it, it, you don't hold on to it as, as well, uh, in, in that sense, uh, like it, because it becomes only as relevant as the moment that it was made, <clears throat> broadcast in, or the year that it was about, or whatnot, right? So, you know, like the show The Fosters was the second show I did after Queen Sugar. The show was canceled, you know? Mm-hmm. But it meant something. You know, then people can go back and look at it still, but it's a whole other moment in uh, episodic television and, and, and a queer-ish type of family that was on there, right? Right. So, right? So, it disappears. Yeah. But it, I mean, we, we're having, like, it's, some, it's always, episodic television is really important for what is the now and the preview. Of right. It, right? Um, I think it sort of disintegrates after it airs and after... Uh, it gets watered down, and then it gets surpassed by other similar episodics. And and a show then people don't it doesn't have the ratings anymore. Nobody's watching it, and then it gets canceled. Well, but is it about because because one of the things that I, you know I talk about with filmmakers and 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 and, and discuss is that it's it's a mistake to in my opinion it's a mistake to kind of lean into what any project will get you. Mm-hmm. In other words, if you're making something, um, I. Find it to be, and I've learned this the hard way. I find it to be a tremendous mistake to be like, "Oh, it didn't play these festivals, or it didn't get me this thing, or it didn't get me in the door here, or you know, some critics didn't like it, or whatever." It has to be about the doing the thing, and it and it strikes me, mm-hmm. it strikes me like in order to be happy, in order to be a happy artist, it has to be about the actual process of doing it, and it strikes me that TV work is kind of the embodiment of that because it's not really your vision. You're, you're working within a very fixed template of a, of a show with characters. You're in the middle, generally speaking, you're in, 
the middle of a much larger narrative. And it's really being run by the showrunner and and the writers. And and as a director, you're there to kind of be the technical ringmaster and bring your bring, bring your voice to it because you have a very specific voice. And when I would imagine mm-hmm. when you're hired for television, you're like, okay, I want your voice, but within this very, very strict framework. Is that is that right. like you know, inspiring to you. I mean, because this is the most restrictive medium I would imagine artistically. It is, because it's, there's a, there's a, right. Cause there's a buyer at the other, you know, they're, they're, they're the, the, the production company has somebody that they, the, the broadcast, right, 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 right. right. So there's so many more, you know, sense of, of, of ownership and who owns what and what, who's selling what to whom and who gets the, like the final cut. Like, you know, the mouse does. <laughs> or, you know, I don't know, right? Whoever it is, AT&T, the phone does, um, at this point, or Amazon or something, right? Right. So we're, we're, we're seeing that you don't get any choice in it. You're, you, you're, you're just gathering, hunting and gathering. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you're just giving them the scenes that they want. And, and, but, but, with, but sometimes, and I think with, with Lovecraft and with a few other shows I've worked on, my cut... And I'm working very closely. I care about what I do. Yeah, um, is what gets broadcast, uh, or very close to it. Uh, and uh, I, I gathered enough stuff to make you know changes that people are happy with. And that's what I try to do. You know, I try to have integrity because it's about the edit. It's all about the edit. Yeah. In, yeah. In, um, in in I would say in the the episodic world more so than the feature world because yeah. it's yeah you, you can't go back and reshoot. Yeah, everything. Nor nor will they let you. Um, it's done. Is done. You it's know? a factory. Uh, it's a factory. It is done. But with with features, again, you you get to do that a little bit more. Um, if it's if it's your own feature and not a feature that you're making for somebody else. Well, I can't wait to see uh, Stranger Inside the 20th anniversary, which you're you're doing an event with Outfest, right? Yes, yes. We're trying to. Make sure we talk about all the other ideas that went into it. So yeah, um, I, I'm I'm not necessarily going to give all, all all away, but um, I would say <laughs> to the Outfest team to stay tuned to um, a screening, a panel discussion, um, maybe even a table read. We're trying to gather everybody. Oh my god, and get that would be time. so I, great. I know. I said that too when I proposed it, but I think everybody's schedule is a little more tricky. But I, if, if if it's not immediately. You know, something that happens within the context of Outfest. Oh, maybe be in a, another fest very soon during the year. But that's something I really want wanting to do is just kind of have folks who were in the original piece read read again and and see, talk about it. What you got coming up? What I have coming up, which is thank you for asking. Um, <laughs> I am sitting here in Toronto right now, um, having just finished my uh, block. Two episodes of uh, Umbrella Academy. Oh, fantastic! Um, and is that season uh, three? Season three, and in in my block, I get to work with uh, the 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 new man character, Elliot Page. A little young man named Elliot Page is one of the. the Are we allowed to talk about that? That's amazing. We're, I had no we're idea. We're not allowed to talk about it. Oh no! no. So do I have to cut this out of the? Do I have no, to cut this no, out of the No, no. We're podcast? allowed to talk about that. Exactly what I said. Okay. I mean, work. I've just finished <laughs> two episodes <laughs> of Umbrella Academy, and um, I, I I get to have a very special um, you know uh, story going on in my episode 
what's what's been happening. I, I cannot wait to. See, that um, is really exciting. So that's really that's I mean, fantastic. Yeah, it's, it's really exciting what what the writers did with it, with Steve Black and with the show. The whole story around it actually rings so true with what I believe in. So I'm like, wow, I'm on shows that I like have meaning with what I really believe about stuff. So I've been able to you know hang out with Elliot through this process, become you know friend with him, etc., uh, and be a support for him. I mean, he's just such a phenomenal guy, um, as well as the rest of the cast. I mean, there's so many other stories in there. And it's a great the, show. I have to. I actually have to get caught up. I did not. I am not caught up. So I have to now, especially now. Yes. I'm going to get caught up because that's yep. really. When does that yep. drop? Is it? I would imagine probably like. Um, I think at the end. Yeah, I think it's the end of the year right? in the fall. Okay. I mean, uh, I, but I'm, I'm still editing. Like, I was like after I get off the phone, I have to sort of finish playing with my cut and turn over my cut to the editors who know and. That show is heavy VFX. I mean, yeah. I did so much on that show. Yeah. VFX, special effects, you know, a lot of previs. Um, it's a lot of great stuff that is now in my wheelhouse of storytelling, which I want to add to my own show um, when, when, when we get to make that in the coming years uh, very soon. Um, and then I'm, uh, I just started working on an episode of this new uh, uh, show called Why the Last Man? which is also from a uh, graphic novel called Why the Last Man. Um, and it's about a pandemic um, that uh, strikes the, predominantly it's in the United States of America uh, and, and the U.S. government, where all the men have died, except oh. for Why the Last Man. So it deals with some great politics and ideas, all women directors again, women showrunners, very, very... I mean, Eli Clark is amazing in what what she wants for the show and and what what like again practicing what you you preach. Um, it's a great one on that. Uh, and then I also and then I go off to the UK after that, and I think I'm winding my year on a great note to Bridgerton. <gasps> You're blowing <laughs> yeah. my mind right now because I, I'm like, sorry, like, I'm, I'm blowing my own. That mind. is okay. So I just want to say, <laughs> I just want to say. Going over your history, watching all of your films, rewatching your films, watching your early work, and like you're this scrappy indie artist. You've had your times, you've had your ups, you've had your downs. You are a six, like a genuine massive success right now. And what you're talking about, you are making good money. I would imagine, hopefully, doing t really great television, and and it's telling these amazing stories. And it's like, if anything, I want to leave the people listening to this with, especially if they're up and coming filmmakers, is like. Yeah, the shit can happen. This shit can happen, and it's like, and it can happen while maintaining your voice. Right, while maintaining your voice, and while consistently doing your work. Go back to Audrey Lord. Are you doing your work? Master's tools will not dismantle master's house. Right, <laughs> you have to create these new tools and whatnot, and you have to consistently stick with your work. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was down, I was making a short film. Uh, you know, black is blue. Right. Or, or, Putting handmade, almost making handmaking uh, the owls. Yeah. Um, uh, keep on doing what you do. Find that community that supports you. Find those stories that you want to tell, and keep telling them, any way, shape, or form. Even in an art exhibit, maybe it needs to be animation. Maybe it needs to be a book, a zine, a drawing, a song. Do it until you're able to. You know, you can't do it no more. Cheryl, I'm moved. <laughs> Genuinely moved. I'm inspired. Thank you so much for coming and talking with us. This means a lot to me, and I know it's going to mean a lot to the people listening to this, especially if they you know, want to make films and they don't know where they fit 
You know what I mean? And and you are living proof that it's like, no, you fit because of who you are and your voice. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And this has been the Outcast presented by Outfest. For more, go to outfest.org slash the Outcast. The Outcast is executive produced by Alan Koningsberg, David Kittredge, and Ismail El-Sharif. Special thanks to Damian Navarro, Daniel Crook, and the entire Outfest team. Music by West One Music Group. Mixed by Craig Lawrence Smith. For more information about Outfest, the film festival, the programs, and all the ways that you can help support LGBT voices, go to outfest.org. The Outcast is a production of Milton Ventures Media and Triple Fire Productions. I'm David Kittredge. Thank you so much for listening and catch you next time.